Don't touch that dial. It is separation Saturday. Week number three of the college football season doesn't get better than this. Marquee games front and center stage. It starts at 12 noon. Florida State and Louisville followed by the 330 matchup. Number one, Alabama and Ole Miss in Oxford. And then later tonight, the marquee battle in Norman, Oklahoma. Ohio State and Urban Meyer travel to Oklahoma to take on Bob Stoops and the Sooners, who win that matchup. We'll talk about it right here for the next two hours. Rich Sermonello, it doesn't get better than this as a college football fan. We were really treated to a great week number two. What, what can we expect in week number three? Well, you, you really summed it up well, Joe, by saying separation Saturday. We all got so excited, and justifiably so, about the opening weekend of the college football season. A lot of great matchups, a lot of entertaining non-conference games, but now that we're in week three you really start to see an opportunity to, to take that next step, whether it's conference games between Alabama and Ole Miss or non-conference games, like you mentioned, Ohio State and Oklahoma. These are all games that are going to have a major impact on conference championship races, but also the playoff races. It's amazing because this is the time of the year that I love. I'm sipping my pumpkin spice coffee. It's a full moon <laughs> last night. And those were just three big battles. We also have games like Michigan State and Notre Dame, Texas A&M and Auburn, LSU and Mississippi State. So, I mean, there's a long list of great games tonight. And you can even look at those West Coast games, UCLA and BYU and Texas and California. Rich and I have a great show planned for you today at 10.45 Eastern Time. Teddy Lehman will be joining us, the former Oklahoma Sooners linebacker. We'll get Teddy's take on what Bob Stoops and that defense has to do to control quarterback JT Barrett of Ohio State. At 11.15 Eastern Time, we'll be joined by former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. We'll get Greg's take on JT Barrett and that high-powered Buckeye offense that's averaging 313 rushing yards on the ground. It should be a very intriguing battle. Oklahoma underdogs for the first time since 2000. I mean 91 straight home games. It's the first time since 2000 that Oklahoma is an underdog in this battle. So we'll talk about that. You can follow me on Twitter at GoForTheTwo. That's the number two. You could follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Sermonello. That's C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. And if you want to talk college football with us, give us a call. 844 for FNTSY. That's 844-84-FNTSY. Rich and I will talk college football with you all day long. Some intriguing battles on Thursday night. Houston did not bring its A game. They trailed 16-12 to in the fourth quarter, but then pulled away with 21 straight points, 28 fourth quarter points, three off of turnovers to win that battle 40-16 to in Cincinnati. Last night, Baylor got a convincing 38-10 to victory over Rice. Utah State knocked off Arkansas State 34 to 20 and then in an intriguing battle in San Antonio it was Arizona State 32 to 28 over Texas San Antonio a very gutty win by the Sun Devils and Rich that's where I want to talk right now about last night's game Arizona State this is a team that's 3 and 0 and they're pounding the football between the tackles with running backs Demario Richard and uh uh a uh, uh, Kalen Ballage that really pound the football as well as anybody in the Pac-12. This is a team that could sneak up on people. They lost their quarterback, Mike Bercovici, but Todd Graham has some defense there in Tempe, doesn't he? 
Yeah, I, you know, it took, for me, as I watched the game last night, it was a case of, is the glass half full, Joe, or is it half empty? I, I like the fact that they're 3-0. and They they did show a lot of guts down 28-12 to in the second half in San Antonio. But the other side is I was a little bit concerned about the lack of efficiency offensively. You know, UTSA is a second-rate Conference USA team. I know they were on the road. I know it was coming off uh, that emotional win over Texas Tech last week, but I think Todd has to be a little bit concerned heading into the Pac-12 opener next week against Cal. His team did not play very well. He needs more out of Manny Wilkins, the young quarterback. But one player that I have to bring up to the audience that is just really bubbling with potential reminds me of Christian Kirk, uh, the Texas A&M wide receiver. Nikhil Harry is a true freshman wide receiver at Arizona State. Going to have a fantastic career in Tempe. He's someone to watch throughout this season. You brought up great points and I agree with you uh, in terms of Manny Wilkins. He is very inconsistent in terms of his reads and progressions and unless they can run the football consistently, Rich, this is a team that if they're put in third down and long situations, I'm yeah. not so sure this team can convert. Not like last year with Mike Berkovici. I mean, he was a seasoned quarterback. Manny Wilkins is an athletic quarterback, but again, you saw his inconsistency last night in his reads and progressions. It really was that running attack that took over in the late in the second half of that ball game. Yeah, and, and you know what? It's an interesting division for me, Joe, because the Pac-12 South is so wide open. You know, the North, we've started to see that separation. You know, Stanford is the favorite. Washington looks very good through two games. Uh, certainly Oregon is Oregon. They have a big game against Nebraska later today. But the South is completely wide open. I, I don't know if there's a team in that division, maybe outside of Colorado, that doesn't have an opportunity to actually wind up playing in Santa Clara for a Pac-12 championship. So if Arizona State can get hot, you know, who knows? That could be a team in November that's playing for that uh, South title. And you look at Balazs last week, eight rushing touchdowns tied Howard, Howard Griffith from Illinois in that battle against Texas Tech. I mean, that was an unbelievable game that lasted until about 3.30 Eastern time last Saturday night. It's amazing, these West Coast games, and we have two great yeah. ones tonight. I want to turn our attention now to the atmosphere in Louisville. I mean, this is a, a, a marquee battle for Lamar Jackson and head coach Bobby Petrino in this battle going up against Florida State. A key note is Florida State's safety, Derwin James, is out for this matchup. It might affect the defensive play calling by that staff and how Florida State attacks Louisville's offense in this battle. But that's a key loss for the Seminoles. But this is a battle-tested team, Rich, that has seemed to overcome adversity throughout the years. Yeah, you know, listen, they, they have the blue chip talent, as you know, Joe. They have a terrific head coach in Jimbo Fisher. The entire staff uh, is outstanding. They will not become unnerved by this setting. Having said that, I expect this to be arguably the most electric atmosphere that we see in all of week three. Louisville knows what's at stake. This is a program that has an opportunity to take a step up and join Clemson and Florida State as far as the elite teams in 2016 in the the Atlantic Coast Conference. Now, Lamar Jackson is one side of it, and I'm sure we'll talk in greater depth, but I'm very curious about you know, the other quarterback, DeAndre Francois, has not played in a true road game in his career. He's just a redshirt freshman. You're going to have an electric atmosphere. You have a very athletic defense over on the Louisville side. So we talk about Lamar Jackson, but let's not forget about that Louisville D and how aggressive and disruptive they can be. And they can because they have 
three playmakers on the defensive side of the ball. Former TCU standout Devontae Fields, former Georgia standout safety Josh Harvey Clemens, and Kelsey, their linebacker, who can run from sideline to sideline. So they're very good in run support, and they love to come up and play a physical style of defense led by former Georgia defensive coordinator Todd Grantham. Here's the one thing, and I'm glad that you brought up the Francois situation going on the road because you look at last year's success by Florida State. This game was 7-6 to six at halftime in Tallahassee before ever Golson and that offense clicked in the second half, and they they did it in the passing attack. They passed for 372 yards in that matchup. Golson did throw for three touchdowns. But keep an eye for Sean McGuire in this ballgame. He's upgraded mm. to available. I know he's a different type of passer, Rich, but he is a big-game quarterback that has big-game experience. A possibility in this ballgame, in my opinion, That's I think f- so. Very. Yeah, very interesting point. I, I haven't really heard that talked about much this week, but you bring up an excellent point, Joe. Sean McGuire is a senior. He's somebody who was thrust into the spotlight uh, over the past couple of seasons. Last year, finished the season as a starter in place of Everett Golson. So, you know, different quarterback, absolutely not quite as athletic, but Sean McGuire has a big-time arm. He can reach those Travis Rudolphs. He can, tre- he can reach uh, Bobo Wilson. He has the arm strength to maximize the talent of those wide receivers and again senior as opposed to a redshirt freshman so I, I think it is something worth watching if if Francois has some early jitters some early hiccups could see the senior out there should be very interesting Rich and I are going to break this game down a little bit later in next segment you look at Florida State they're passing for 344 yards through the air and rushing for 165 yards on the ground this is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonella on the SB Nation radio network Back on Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Rich, there's an interesting battle in the SEC. We might not get to it later today, but I want to talk about it right now. It's Les Miles and LSU taking on Nick Fitzgerald and Mississippi State. Intriguing battle, LSU breaking out the throwback unis today. Uh, Retro, almost 1997 Independence Bowl. This is an offense with Danny Etling that really has to get itself in gear tonight. Otherwise, they're SEC West title hopes could be on derailed. Yeah, I, I, listen, I'm not a huge uniform guy. I think it's gotten overstated <laughs> in the years, but I do love the gold LSU uniforms. You know, I, that that really struck a chord with me in terms of the game itself. Uh you know, don't overlook Mississippi State. Uh, I, you know, we always worry about the LSU offense. You mentioned Etling. Looks like Leonard Fournette will be close to 100%, certainly available for the Tigers tonight. But Mississippi State, A.J. Jefferson up front playing very well. Their middle linebacker, Richie Brown, playing very well. I don't know if Mississippi State will have enough offense with Fitzgerald against that LSUD, but that Mississippi's def- uh, Mississippi State defense is very scrappy, Joe. So I think this could be a traditional LSU scrum in which it's low scoring, it's close, the you know the place kickers are uh, instrumental in the outcome. Uh, could be a close game in the second half tonight. I, I agree with that, and I'll tell you this about Mississippi State. You're right, they're a blue-collar team under Dan Mellon. The last time they were in Baton Rouge with Dak Prescott, they got the victory, and more importantly, Nick Fitzgerald's coming off a record-setting performance, yep. 195 rushing yards on the ground. Here's the one thing I'll tell you about LSU. They need to be more aggressive offensively. I mean, you look at Traven Doral and Malachi Dupree. They've combined for nine receptions for 79 Mm. yards, Rich. I mean, this is an offense that's only passing for 129 yards through the air, and they're only
only rushing for 185 yards on the ground. Last year, they averaged 257 on the ground and 179 yards through the air. So they can make up for the lack of consistency in the passing attack because they can pound it between the tackles. Not the same offense. And that falls on Cam Cameron. I'm sorry. He needs to be aggressive. Otherwise, they're they're both going to be out by the end of the year. I totally agree, and we talked about that leading into the into the week one game against Wisconsin. Is the fact that you know if if you want to be a more competitive LSU team, you want to win that SEC West and an SEC title, you have to be able to maximize the talent of those receivers. I mean, Dupree and Doral are NFL next caliber receivers, and yet. What did you say? Nine yards of reception? I mean, that that's just criminal within that offense. I think the problem for Cameron and the problem for Miles is they never have been able to develop top-flight quarterbacks. So I just don't think they have confidence, whether it's Brandon Harris or Danny Etling, they don't have enough confidence in those quarterbacks to go downfield, stretch defenses, open things up for Leonard Fournette and Darius Geis. And yeah, I think that continues tonight. I, I think they're going to have a very difficult time against Dan Mullins' day. Yeah, very. I, I'm very intrigued to see how this game plays out, and I, I'll piggyback off of what you said in terms of LSU about cultivating quarterbacks. When they had Zach Mettenberger there, they had two big play wide receivers in Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. that could stretch defenses, and that's all they did. And they had a guy by the name of Rivers that transferred out of there that was supposed to be his replacement, yep. and I think that sort of hurt the, the quarterback situation. So that's something to keep an eye out on. I think if you attack this defense from an LSU perspective, LSU going up against Miss State, they have to attack the secondary because Mississippi State is allowing 247 passing yards per game. They need to get get after it today, but we'll talk more about that next segment. Stay with us. Back on college football game day, Rich and I were talking Florida State and Louisville. We're going to keep it right here because this is an absolute unbelievable atmosphere. The Cardinals are they're representing with Muhammad Ali today. Bobby Petrino and the crew going to be wearing chrome uniforms. Doesn't get better than this. I'm telling you, the atmosphere at 12 noon will be second to none. And you talk about some great Louisville players throughout the days. I mean, you look at when John L. Smith was there with Dave Rag- going. I mean, in 2006 when they had uh, Stefan LaFleurs and Lionel Gates and Eric Shelton and Robert McCune. I mean, I can't believe that uh, this is the biggest game in Louisville history because you thought, think about the success that they've had, Rich, in recent years, especially under Bobby Petrino, where they were ranked second in the country and they lost in Rutgers. That was an unbelievable atmosphere back then and it's an unbelievable atmosphere at home today at 12 noon. I was at that Thursday nighter. Were you there by chance? I was there. I didn't storm the field, though, Rich. I was front and center stage, right about the 20-yard line, thinking I bought those tickets in August, thinking there's no way this is going to be a marquee game. Lo and behold, Rutgers pulls off the shocker. Yeah, yeah, I, I was there as well, ironically enough. But uh, yeah, Louisville has always been close. It's one of those programs that they've done a nice job of recruiting nationally. Uh, they've always recruited well in the state of Florida. Uh, it's been a place for second chance kids over the years, Bobby Petrino being one of the purveyors of that sort of a mindset. But 
t- today, what, what makes the game special, Joe, is it's an opportunity to elevate. It's an opportunity to take your young sophomore quarterback and say he's a legitimate Heisman contender. Uh, it's an opportunity to say we're not just the, you know, the, the fly in the ointment. We're not that third team in the ACC Atlantic. We're going to come out and win the ACC Atlantic. And if they could beat Florida State today, you know, we talked a little bit about Derwin James. That is a major loss for the Florida State defense. How about Josh Sweat? They almost didn't make the trip to Louisville. May not be at 100% today. One of their better pass rushers uh, to compliment Marcus Walker. Uh, that you know, th- these are these are issues that I think could plague Florida State this afternoon. That's a great point. But I'll say this in terms of Florida State: it, it, we talk about Lamar Jackson, the number one total offense in college football, FBS, 754 total yards a game. They're rushing for 343 yards on the ground, and they're passing for 411 yards through the air. Lamar Jackson has 13 total touchdowns, seven passing, six on the ground. Rich, but there's a guy in Tallahassee that nobody seems to be talking about after two weeks and he was a Heisman frontrunner in the offseason and a guy by the name of Dalvin Cook who's sort of under the radar and seems to save his best games for the national mm. stage. I'm just saying he broke out yep. in this ball game last year. Uh, Dalvin Cook is a guy that we can't take lightly especially if you're a Florida State fan and more importantly if you're a defender for the Cardinals today. Well, no question. I, I've said I've, I've given you my opinion on Dalvin Cook before. I, I think he's the best pure running back in the country. You could you can keep your Fournettes, you can keep your McCaffreys. I, I think he is the best back in the country. The problem I've seen, forget about last week against Charleston Southern, that's irrelevant. But in the opener against Ole Miss, the Florida State offensive line, which returned so many veterans, so many starters from 2015, Joe, just didn't blow Ole Miss off the line of scrimmage. They did a better job in the second half, but they struggled in the first half. So Dalvin Cook, although he accounted for somewhere in the neighborhood of 200 yards, it wasn't quintessential Dalvin Cook. We need to see that player. And for that to happen, they're going to have to control the line of scrimmage. So it'll be the the veterans, the might of that Florida State offensive line against the speedy front seven of Todd Grantham. And that's that's the matchup that you want to see today. And I'll piggyback this. I'll say this about last year when they lost that game to Houston. Houston blitzed Florida State repeatedly in that ballgame. And I felt that Jim Fisher did not do a good job in utilizing Dalvin Cook in the short to intermediate passing game to take pressure off of the offensive line and neutralize the blitz. Now, I will say this, though. In the early part of the season so far, Dalvin Cook's been utilized in the passing attack much more than he was last year. He's already got 110 receiving yards, only 174 yards on the ground, but that can take the pressure off of DeAndre Francois in terms of having to make reads and progressions downfield if they can dump the ball off to Dalvin Cook in the flat or on screen passes to sort of get Louisville's defense moving sideline to sideline a little bit later in the game. That'll open up running lanes and Cook could have a huge day. I think the way you beat Louisville defensively is you have to challenge Josh Josh Harvey Clemens over the top and attack him with deep passes but I think you could get loosen them up a little bit Rich in the short to intermediate passing game if you utilize Cook in that way and that could be a big factor in this ballgame, especially on the road. That's an excellent point. Uh, you saw it on Labor Day night. He was more valuable as a dump-off, as a safety valve in the passing game than he was a traditional running back. I, I like your I like your way of thinking here because this could be an opportunity to get Dalvin in space, but more as a receiver than as a running back. You get that kid out in the flat. I mean, he is ultra-dangerous. 
good speed, tremendous physicality, tough to take down in the open field, so you bring up a very good point. Now, Louisville has a solid running back in Brandon Radcliffe. He's not a, a burner, but he's a tough inside runner. He's a diminutive guy. He's about 5'9", but he goes around 220 pounds. He's got the bulk. He can move the change, and they like to utilize him in the passing attack as well, so we'll see how those matchups play out. I will say this about Florida State's defense, though. 30% third down conversions. That's a key statistic. I know a lot of it might have been because of Derwin James, but you look at the front seven, they're playing very well. Nine sacks through the first two games, and they're plus six in turnover margin. On the road, you need to force turnovers, and more more times than not, it's the team that could force turnovers and run the ball consistently that wins these marquee battles. So I guess we'll see how it plays out, but I, I really feel that Florida State has an edge on the offensive side because I feel that McGuire could play today. Now, I don't think that if, if Francois has a few bad series, I don't think McGuire's in. But I think if Florida State's trailing in this game, late second quarter, by halftime, don't be shocked to see Sean McGuire uh, come out to the field because it happened last year with Everett Golson. And he backed him up in key matchups. And he started for him against Syracuse and had a dynamic day in that ball game. So I think that could be a factor. I mean, we need to talk about this more because it's not just the redshirt freshman quarterback, Rich. Joe, it's such a luxury, as you know, for a head coach to have in the bullpen someone who has played meaningful minutes, has started football games, is a senior, knows the offense. That's what Sean McGuire is. And listen, I'm not trying to to derail DeAndre Francois, clearly the future behind center in Tallahassee. But again, I I think that's a very cogent point because, you know, if if DeAndre becomes a little bit uh, shaken by the atmosphere, maybe maybe Louisville scores a couple of uh, quick touchdowns. It is a luxury for Jimbo Fisher to be able to say, I have the veteran in the bullpen. Let's pull the righty out and let's see if we can uh, get a spark on offense. Yeah. Sean McGuire did have a foot injury. He was competing for the job, although a lot of people thought that Francois would have won out anyway without the injury. It just made it a lot easier for Jimbo Fisher. You look at Florida State's offense overall, they're converting 58% on third down conversions. That could be a key matchup going up against Louisville's defense in this ballgame. You look at Francois, you can't argue what he's done through two ballgames. He's completed 69% of his passes, six 181 yards, five touchdowns, and one interception. His main target on the year so far has been Travis Rudolph, who leads the team with 13 receptions, 179 yards, and three touchdowns. Rich and I are just getting started. We'll break this game down and give our prediction later in the show. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the SB Nation Radio Network. Back on College Football Game Day on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Joe Lisi, Rich Sermonello. Rich, we talked about LSU and Mississippi State. I want to stick with that in case we don't give our prediction for that game a little bit later. I really feel that this is a must-win for Les Miles and, and this team because, again, this is a top-five preseason team that was expected to win the SEC West. I really feel that they need to, to dominate this matchup, even though it might not be easy. I think they really have to pour it on to get confidence. Otherwise, I think this could be a lost season. I'm calling for a 28-point victory by LSU in this matchup. I I think that the throwbacks, I know that you're not a big uniform guy, but the throwbacks and the fact that Mississippi State knocked off LSU two years ago in Baton Rouge, Les Miles will take it out on Dan Mullen and the crew today. 
Well, I, 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 I'm going to go the opposite way. I think this is a nip-and-tuck, uh, blue-collar type game. I, I, I see LSU winning by low double digits. I, I think the line is LSU laying 16. I would love to get those points uh, on the Mississippi State side. I think they they keep it competitive defensively. Joe, I, th- I think every game going forward for, for Les Miles is must-win. I'll include every doggone game right through the <laughs> Alabama game. I mean, I, I don't know if he has any more margin for error any longer. I'm, I'm having a more difficult time seeing the pathway he has to return to Baton Rouge in 2017 unless he wins an SEC title. Now, last week, I'm, I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. And last week you said, I'm a little bit of rock and roll. You're a little bit of country. I'm like Tin Cup. <laughs> I'm like the Tin Cup of college football. No, I'm not pitching. I'm going break out the driver with 30, 30 yards to go, Rich. But I want to talk about this game because this is an intriguing game. And I think you're going to like this one. Pittsburgh on the road in Stillwater against Oklahoma State. I mean, Pittsburgh Love with it. a monumental victory over Penn State. They needed to win that ball game for recruiting. And more important, the way they jumped out to a big lead, they held on uh, to Trace McSorley. They picked him off in the end zone with about a minute left in that battle. They won that matchup 42-39. to And you look at the flip side, Oklahoma State and Central Michigan. I mean, what can you say? But Central Michigan with a Hail Mary again. They did it two years ago in the Bahamas Bowl. I mean, that was unbelievable. Cooper Rush is rolling sevens every, every single time. Don't count this guy out. Yeah, no, Cooper Rush is uh, is one of the top quarterbacks in the MAC. Did a great job even before that Hail Mary. He was having a lot of success against uh, Glenn Spencer's defense. Yeah, for for me this week, I, I think it's a fascinating non conference matchup. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the couch like I'm Doctor Freud here, Joe, because <laughs> I, I I think you have to psychoanalyze these two teams heading into this week because who has the right focus this afternoon? Is it Pittsburgh coming off of that emotional win? You mentioned it against Penn. State are they a little bit down you know you're at Heinz Field you beat you know the top in-state team in Pennsylvania now you got to go to Stillwater good luck you know getting up for that matchup and, and then you have Oklahoma State with the emotional loss uh, play shouldn't have happened the officials Mac officials made a mistake so who is able to get right mentally for this game I, I think it's a very tight game I, I don't see a lot of separation you have the physicality and the rushing ability of Pitt you have you know Mason Rudolph to James Washington a little flasher on Oklahoma State side so I think it's a competitive game all comes down to mindset who can have a short memory and put week two in the past when today kicks off. Interesting, contrasting styles. We'll break it down. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Back on college football game day, the marquee battle in Norman, Oklahoma, later tonight, 8 o'clock, Ohio State and Oklahoma. Ohio State's Rich has won 18 straight road regular season games. Their last loss came in 2011 to the Michigan Wolverines. They've won those 18 games by 17 points per game. And on the flip side, you have Bob Stoops and the Oklahoma Sooners underdogs for the first time at home since 2000. October 28th, 2000 against the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Does it get better than this? Big 10, Big 12, battle 
we talked about it throughout the offseason, Joe. This was this was the game that we all circled on the calendar. We put it on the refrigerator. This was the game everybody, in terms of non-conference, was looking forward to. And I, I think it lost just a little bit of luster with Oklahoma's defeat at the hands of Houston in Week 1. But still, there is a ton at stake. I, I mean, Ohio State, they can lose this game, in my opinion, battle back, and still make the playoffs. Oklahoma, though, you have got to win. I mean, it goes without saying you've got to win. If you want to turn your season around, you want to reverse course, you have to hold serve against Ohio State. And and listen, I'm very curious to see what these Buckeyes are all about, Joe, because blowouts over Bowling Green and Tulsa, decent group of five teams, not horrible. But how are they going to fare with such a young team going into Norman this evening? That's a great point. Ohio State returned six total starters entering the year, three on offense, three on defense. From an offensive perspective, they lost all three top leading wide receivers from last year and Braxton Miller, Jalen Marshall, and Michael Thomas. That could put some pressure on JT Barrett and more importantly, the offensive line. If they can't consistently convert third downs and move the football consistently on the road, that could be an Achilles heel in this ballgame. But you look at Oklahoma, Rich. I mean, it doesn't get easier after this game. They need to win this game, but then they follow this game up with TCU, and then two weeks later, the Red River rivalry against Charlie Mm. Strong in Texas. This season could be lost unless they win this game, because I mean, they could be emotionally reeling if they lose to the Buckeyes tonight. Well, well said. I mean, if you're a one and two Oklahoma team, you know how you know you've been around young kids. You know, you've 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 followed this sport for the better part of your adult life. You know how young student athletes react. And in August, you're thinking back to the playoffs, Big Twelve championship. When that changes, when all of a sudden you're one and two, uh, Big Twelve championship would still be in play. But forget about the playoffs. Now you got to start to wonder if these twenty year olds are are kind of losing a little bit of their focus. You know, the kids who are going NFL next year now don't have the same kind of laser focus that they did a few weeks ago. So, yeah, at one and two, you could see 2016 begin to slowly unravel for the Sooners. You look at Ohio State's defense overall, Rich. I mean, they played very well. They're only giving up 65 rushing yards entering this battle, only 151 yards through the air. They're they're forcing opposing offenses to convert only 21% on third down and they're plus seven in turnover margin. They have four sacks on the year already, which through two ball games they're averaging two through the first you know two games a year uh, so far. But here's the matchup that you have to keep an eye out for if you're an Oklahoma fan. Oklahoma's offensive line, eight total sacks allowed already. Mm-hmm. Going up against that physical, athletic defensive front in Ohio State, you have to protect Baker Mayfield to give him time. Otherwise, this is going to be a long day because the way Ohio State can run the football, they're averaging 313 yards on the ground. If they get a lead and you can't protect Baker Mayfield and and force to play catch up, you're going to be on the sidelines a long time. And that's the one thing I think you have to be concerned about if you're an Oklahoma fan. Well, let, let's let's go. Let's get in our time machine, Joe. Let's hold hands. We're going to go in our time machine back to Piscataway again. It's it's Rutgers Louisville because who was the coach of Rutgers at that time? 
Greg Schiano. Exactly. And, and, and Greg is now one of the defense. He's a co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State. And again, it's just two games, but Greg has done a very nice job with a very young defense. You look at players like Malik Hooker, the safety, Marshawn Lattimore, the young quarterback. Those guys, when you watch them on film, they're just a step faster than the competition. And again, I'll, I'll put an asterisk and say it was Bowling Green and Tulsa, but Bowling Green and Tulsa have some pretty good offensive pop. You know, the, these are not 14-point-a-game uh, programs. Ohio State is very fast. Look for Sam Hubbard, a true sophomore defensive end, could have a big game against those uh, those tackles of Oklahoma. So you're right. Uh, a lot will come down to the trenches and how well they could neutralize the speed of the Ohio State day. Now, you brought up the emotional factor in terms of these kids being 18, 19, and 20 years old. The one thing that when you look at who might have the advantage, I mean, Ohio State has, ha- has been battle-tested. So is Oklahoma. But you look at that run where they won the national championship over Oregon, their third quarterback, Cardale Jones. It was next man up, and they talked about it all offseason, how Urban Meyer mentally prepares the players to to play for the Buckeyes in Columbus. So you would sort of lean to say Ohio State, from a mental aspect, has the edge in this battle. And from what we've seen from big game Bob Stoops in recent years, Oklahoma a little bit lacking, but they have an opportunity here. But in my opinion, I think Oklahoma has to put the pressure on JT Barrett and that offense because I look at JT Barrett and that offense I look at Curtis Samuel that leads that team with 14 receptions 239 yards and two touchdowns he's a hybrid he's more of a Jalen Marshall type of guy not a big play go-to wide receiver if Baker Mayfield gets hot and puts the pressure on JT Barrett to respond and match him score for score that could be Oklahoma's recipe to win this ball game a high up-tempo attack and force Ohio State into a a high-scoring affair. To me, Joe, I, I, I think it all comes down to the backs. I, I, I And Oklahoma, they sort of got away from Joe Mixon and Samaje Pirine in the opener. I think they have to pound the ball. If you're going to have success against the Ohio State defense, I, I don't think it's got to be very surprised if it's with the arm of Baker Mayfield because the Oklahoma receivers don't match up very well against that secondary of Ohio State. I think they have to play ground and pound, ball control, P. Ryan's got to uh, handle it at least 20 times. That is the recipe for success, in my opinion, uh, for the Oklahoma offense. Wow, that's that's interesting because I feel like they can utilize Mixon in the short to intermediate passing game the way they did against Houston. They got him matched up on a linebacker, a nickelback. He made a big play for a touchdown. I think that's the way. And I'm, now I'm really curious to see how it plays out because I think if they run the football against Ohio State's defensive front, they'll be playing right into Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano's defensive game plan. So I'm really curious to see how it plays out. Now, Baker Mayfield, he hasn't turned the ball over. He's thrown five touchdowns, no interceptions, 71% completion percentage, but he sure is missing Duran Neal and Sterling Shepard this year, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, uh, Shepard to me, uh, he was one of my uh, favorite receivers to watch because he was so clutch. He knew the soft spots in defenses. He always came through on third down in the red zone. Just a terrific 
terrific clutch wide receiver for Baker Mayfield last year uh, and really Oklahoma over the past couple of years. Look for Mark Andrews. Mark Andrews is a tight end, really kind of moves like an H-back, but he's somebody down the seam of the Ohio State defense who could have success. Did it against Houston, but Mark Andrews, he might be the most dangerous weapon in the passing game for Oklahoma tonight. It's going to be interesting, and the crowd. You, I mean, this crowd is going to be unbelievable. Buckeyes, Sooners, I mean, they have an opportunity. Last time, when you look at their big game last year against TCU, Trevor Knight had to come in. Baker Mayfield did get knocked out, so this isn't a gimme here. And just because they're underdogs dogs doesn't mean Oklahoma's going to win this game. They're underdogs for a reason because they haven't played well, especially week number one against Houston. And you saw what Greg Ward in that offense was able to do. They passed for 389 yards on that Sooner secondary. So we'll see how it plays out a little bit later today. I mean, I'm interested to see how this matchup plays out and get Teddy Lehman's thoughts about this defense. I want to get your quick thoughts, Rich, about what you felt the backup quarterback is talking and talking smack against Ohio State's basic defense. What is that all about? You know, it's a very curious move. Austin Kendall, uh, uh, during an interview this week, was sort of, uh, he was saying, you know, Baker's going to light up the basic Ohio State defense. Here's my thing. I, Rich, I hold never that recommend. Thought. Hold that thought. We'll, we'll come back with Teddy. We'll get his take on it. we got to take a quick break. Stay with us. When we come back, Rich and I will be talking to Teddy Lehman. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Back on Fantasy Sports Radio Network, we'll talk about some other key battles. We were talking Pitt in Oklahoma State. Rich, when you look at this Pitt defense last week, they got the victory, but they gave up 332 passing yards to Trace McSorley and Penn State. Not the prototypical uh, high-powered passing offense by James Franklin and the Nittany Lions. They're going to be facing Mason Rudolph and possibly one of the two best wide receivers in the game in James Washington and Jalen McCleskey that have combined for 25 receptions, 233 yards, and two touchdowns. This is one of the best offenses in college football. I know they haven't showed it in the first two games of the year, but this could be a dangerous game for Pitt in this matchup. Yeah, you know, you bring up an interesting point, Joe. I, I was surprised by the defense of Pitt. I expected more. I, I, I thought, you know, uh, Saquon uh, Barkley, I thought, would have given problems to Pittsburgh, but not the passing game. I guess we could possibly chalk it up to the fact that, you know, Penn State was in comeback mode. Maybe Pat Narduzzi had his Panthers sort of sloughing off a little bit, uh, allowing a little bit more room as they had built a lead. But uh, I like the Pittsburgh defense. I think they're better than what they showed uh, last week in Heinz Field. Here's the thing when I look at this matchup. It's it's really an intriguing matchup because you have a blue-collar, methodical offense led by Nate Peterman and James Conner. He wants to run the football, Pat Narduzzi, even though they exploded for 42 points last week. That's not their typical MO. They want to get games into the 20s because, again, they don't want to match mm-hmm. Oklahoma State score for score. And now they're on the road in Stillwater, and you know Mike Gundy and this team want to start fast to start to erase that debacle last week against Central Michigan. So this could be a dangerous game in terms of their... It could get out of control really early. I favor Oklahoma State in this matchup because of their offense and because of what happened last week and the emotional factor of Pitt coming off such a great victory over an in-state rival. I think this is a bad matchup for the Panthers. 
I agree. I, I think Oklahoma State wins. I do think it'll be close. But, you know, this is one of those back-against-the-wall type moments for the Cowboys. I, I think Mike Gundy will have his kids ready. I think they'll erase the memory of last week. And to your point, Pittsburgh coming off that emotional, emotional win, now having to go on the road, unfamiliar territory, teams have never met. I, I think Oklahoma State close this afternoon. And, and it's going to be interesting too because you're talking about, I, I want to see if it's high scoring or I want to see if it's if it's a methodical game because you sort of feel yeah. that Pitt wants to get into the same type of game plan that Central Michigan did force Mason Rudolph to methodically work down the field. Don't give up 50, 60 yard bombs where in 10 seconds you're down 7 nothing or 14-3 because that that's if that's the way the game shapes up, it's going to be a long day and I'm telling you, that's a bad recipe so we have to see who can dictate the tempo in that matchup early on yeah, I agree. I mean, Pittsburgh wants the game to be played in the 20s. They want to have long drives, keep the ball out of Mason Rudolph's hand. Uh, if if James Washington is taking the top off the defense, that's a, obviously a bad sign for Pitt. It really is, and that's something that we'll see how it plays out. I, I think Oklahoma State dominates this game. I think they win this game by about 17 to 20 points. I don't think it's close because of how Oklahoma State played last week, but we'll see. Mason Rudolph and Oklahoma State, they're averaging 270 yards through the air. Mason Rudolph, 67% completion percentage, four touchdowns, one interception. We're just getting started. We'll take a quick break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Back on college football game day, Ohio State, Oklahoma doesn't get better than this. What better way to break this game down than with a former Sooner? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. Want to welcome in former Oklahoma Sooners linebacker Teddy Lehman. Teddy, thanks for joining us today. No problem, guys. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Teddy, let's get right to it. Can Oklahoma and Bob Stoops rebound in a big way? But more importantly, can the defense step up and contain JT Barrett in this game? Yeah, I think they can. Um, You know, this is the type of game where Oklahoma shows up and puts on a performance. There's going to be a a huge atmosphere here. The place is going crazy. We've been looking forward to this game for a long time. And uh, taking that week one loss to Houston kind of put everything into perspective and got these guys to grind a little bit harder. It's going to be tough defensively, but I think they're going to have to put the pressure on JT Barrett. And in week one, Houston was able to take advantage of some one-on-ones. Uh, we've got an outstanding quarter, cornerback in Jordan Thomas, and they were going opposite him. And we've rotated a couple of guys through there, Dakota Austin, um, Cobb has gotten in there a little bit too, so we're trying to lock down that other corner spot. I think Ohio State's going to try and lock on there and make some plays if we haven't adjusted and gotten better there. And uh, It's going to be interesting. If we can get to JT Barrett and get him off his spot, make it a little uncomfortable there in the pocket, not have a clean pocket to throw from, I think they can do okay defensively. Hey, Teddy, Rich Sermonello. Uh, Let's keep it on defense. Uh, Ohio State has played very well. New look defense. But the competition was Bowling Green and Tulsa. Have you had a chance to look at some film of the Buckeyes' D? And uh, what was your take after doing that? I have. uh, I popped in some film and watched Ohio State, and it was so funny. This is a throwback football team. And really, it's both sides of the football. Specifically on defense, they're really simple. It's a 4-3 front. Uh, they don't do a whole lot of stuff. It's a lot of man-free. And they don't have to get creative. They've got athletes all over the field. So they can just let their corners cover, 
let their safety play play center field. Uh, you let their backers come downhill and play the run aggressively, and let their four man front get after the quarterback. It's you know we heard Austin Kendall. We heard him say that this is a basic defense, and he's exactly right. But you can't confuse basic with bad. They're really basic in what they do, but they're really effective. Their secondary guys is, is outstanding. There's a ton of athleticism in that secondary, and uh, they're ball hawks in man-to-man coverage. They're out there getting picks, which is not typical. Usually, you see a bunch of interceptions in zone whenever they're breaking on the football. These guys are athletic enough to go get the ball whenever they've got their guy locked down. Teddy, it's interesting because Rich and I both differ in terms of how we feel Oklahoma has to attack that Ohio State defense. I feel that they have to utilize Baker Mayfield and Joe Mixon in terms of the short to intermediate passing game. And I think they have to put the pressure on JT Barrett and that offense, meaning they have to jump up early and force a high up-tempo game. I think if it's a low-scoring game, that sort of favors Ohio State because of how they pound the football between the tackles. I want to get your feeling about how you feel from an offense perspective, Oklahoma has to attack Ohio State in terms of up-tempo or more ball, ball control attack? Well, you know, Oklahoma's whenever their offense is clicking, they they do go up-tempo, right? But but there's a bunch of different things they do. This isn't your typical, uh, quote-unquote, air raid offense where they just sit back there and throw it all over the field. With Mixon and Ryan in the backfield, they're most effective whenever they're running the ball quickly and running it effectively. Get back up to the line real quick at second and five, and before you get your wits about you defensively, they're already snapping it and handing it off to a 230-pound Samaje Piran, and he's coming downhill right at you. That's whenever they're most effective. They will slow it down. They've got a couple of different tempos that they go offensively, but when they're moving the chains and just in rhythm, they can attack you a bunch of different ways, but the running game is key. And I do agree to a point that a low-scoring game favors Ohio State because this team, Oklahoma, seems to me like they're kind of a front-running team. Whenever they get out in front and they get comfortable, Baker Mayfield settles in. But whenever the game is tight, maybe even if they're behind a little bit, Baker Mayfield has a tendency to try to win the game on, on every single throw, and it bites him from time to time. Hey, Teddy, one of the red flags for me in the Houston game, I'm sure I wasn't alone, was the Oklahoma offensive line. Uh, you, you play Monroe last week, have a chance to sort of tinker with, with the O-line. Have, have adjusting, adjustments been made since the week one opener in order to do a better job of protecting Baker? Yeah, they have. Uh, they moved some, some pieces around, like you mentioned, in week two, and it seems like they got a little bit better of a feel for things. I think it could be a work in progress. This this offensive line ended last season on a high note, and we came in expecting a bunch of great things. But it's still a really young group. You know, they're pretty inexperienced. So I think by the end of the year, they're going to be uh, playing a lot better than they are right now. But that being said, I think they found a little bit of rhythm in week two. And, you know, kind of like what I was talking about with the running game, that's what's critical with this team. When they start moving the chains is when they play a lot better, and that goes for the offensive line as well. It is interesting, though. Houston dialed up a bunch of pressures. They, they were really smart. They would bring, bring everyone, and then on a third down, then the next third down, they drop eight and only rush three. And they kind of had our offense guessing the whole time. I'm sure Ohio State went to school on that film and uh, the connection between Urban Meyer and Tom Herman. I'm sure he asked him some pointers as well. So I think there's going to be times where 
even though it's not their character right now, I think Ohio State is going to dial up some pressures to put it on Baker Mayfield and then, and then you know, try and time it up with some drops on some other third downs as well. So it's going to be interesting to see how the chess match plays out. Teddy, it's always a pleasure. Great information. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed it. All right, guys. That was former Oklahoma linebacker Teddy Lehman giving us his breakdown about OSU and Oklahoma. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Rich and I will be talking Alabama and Ole Miss. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the SB Nation radio network. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, this is College Football Game Day. Rich and I were talking about our prediction for Pittsburgh and Oklahoma State. I just want to reiterate, I think it's a big victory by Oklahoma State. I think they win this matchup by 17 to 20 points. Rich, I, I'm, I just want to make sure we got your prediction in there for, for that battle. Yeah, I, I don't see it that lopsided. I, I do think Oklahoma State wins. I, I, I think they bounce back from the Central Michigan loss, Joe. But I think this is a nip-and-tuck game. I think it is a battle of tempos. Pitt, as we talked about, will try to slow things down. Oklahoma State wants to move faster, open up the game. I, I see it a little bit high-scoring. Uh, Oklahoma State 33-30. to 30, So I, I would take the Ooh, points in this game. Very interesting. I, I would be shocked, I would be shocked if, if, if it's a 17-point uh, difference in this game. I really would. Wow. We'll talk about this game because I really feel Texas A&M is the best team in the SEC West. I said it in Vegas. I said it on many shows that this is my pick to win the SEC West. I think after today, they show it. They have a tough battle against Auburn in on the plane, 7 o'clock tonight. Intriguing battle. Both teams have split the series since 2012, winning two games apiece. Auburn won last year 26-10. to in College Station, but I think this is an intriguing matchup for Trevor Knight and the Texas A&M offense going up against an Auburn defense that's allowed 254 passing yards per game, one of the best wide receiver cores in the nation, and you're talking about a defense that, in my opinion, has overperformed through two weeks already. Yeah, you're right, Joe. I think this is a very interesting game. I mean, in terms of SEC coverage this week, we're all going to spend ample time on Alabama, Ole Miss. That's the marquee matchup for Week 3, and for good reason. But Texas A&M-Auburn is... Uh, compelling to me because this is an opportunity for one of these teams, whoever comes out of this game, now kind of throws their hat into the ring as uh, one of those sneaky good SEC West teams that could sort of uh, pop up and surprise teams, number one. The other storyline that intrigues me is the coaches because we know that both Kevin Sumlin uh, with the Aggies and the Tigers, Gus Malzahn, they're both needing to have big seasons this year. So for the victor, goes a cooling seat for the loser though uh, comes a very difficult week ahead you're absolutely right about that because Auburn faces LSU so you could possibly have two coaches on the hot seat next week in that battle because Mm. of Les Miles depending on how they play against Mississippi State tonight in Baton Rouge and the way Auburn plays against Texas A&M you could have two coaches on the hot seat the following week and that's unbelievable when you think about it because just three years removed from that Auburn national championship championship game against Florida State. Everybody was hailing Gus Malzahn as the offensive mind that you have to build offenses around in college football. All of a sudden, he's gone 
to sort of the norm. I want to say the Big 12, the way his offense has gone, Rich. This is an offense in 2013 under Gus Malzahn when they made it to the national championship game. They rushed for 328 yards on the ground in 2013. In 2014 with Nick Marshall, it was 255. Last year, they dipped to 196, and in their six losses, it was 158. He comes out week one They only against Clemson. They only rushed for 87 yards on the ground, and then they follow that up in week two against Arkansas State. They pounded the rock for 462 yards on the ground. I don't know if Gus Malzahn even knows what he wants to do from an offensive scheme because he's all over the place. Well, I, I think he realizes the limitations. We, 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 Rich, we'll get back to this game. We'll take a quick break. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Back on college football game day, Alabama and Ole Miss 3.30 on CBS. Can Chad Kelly be the only quarterback since Drew Brees to knock off Nick Saban in back-to-back years? Could Ole Miss make history and knock off Nick Saban in the Alabama Crimson Tide three consecutive years? I know the fans in Tuscaloosa think that that's almost sacrilegious, right, Rich? You can't even talk about that. I mean, we're going in uncharted territory. Hugh Freeze and the boys at home in in Oxford, I mean, they have a chance to make history here. Last year was sacrilege because I don't think anybody, including myself, thought that Ole Miss would have won back-to-back years uh, over Alabama. Three in a row would be just hard to fathom, and I, I, I don't think it happens. I know they have Alabama's number, but the personnel has changed a little bit at Ole Miss, and I really like the defensive uh, playmakers on the Alabama side of the ball. Let's go back to Labor Day night. Uh, Ole Miss... Got off to a great start, led, I think it was 28-6, to and then basically faded in front of Demarcus Walker and the Florida State pass rush. I think that's going to be the Achilles heel for Ole Miss today. Can they protect Chad Kelly, who is, like all quarterbacks, much better when he doesn't have defenders in his face? So much talent in that front seven for Alabama. I think that dictates the day uh, at Vaught-Hemingway today. It's incredible. Since 2011, Bama leads the series 3-2, to two, but Ole Miss is won the last two games by a total of six points. Alabama's won those three games since 2011 by an average of 29.6 points per game. Let's look at Alabama, Rich. Offensively, what can you say about this offense with Lane Kiffin averaging 45 points per game? They're pounding the rock for 183 yards on the ground and 287 passing yards through the air. Defensively, last year they led FBS in total sacks with 53. They also led FBS in rush defense, only seven 75 yards a game, and they were second in scoring defense behind Wisconsin. This year, they're only allowing eight points per game, 91 rushing yards on the ground, and only 173 passing yards to opposing offenses, and they already have seven sacks on the year. I will say this about Ole Miss, though. Here's the one thing that I think Ole Miss brings to the table. I couldn't agree with you more in terms of the athleticism and how they allow that game to slip against Florida State, but I will say this. From an emotional factor, Ole Miss will not fear Alabama. That's the one thing that I think teams get defeated before they even play the game because they're playing the Alabama Crimson Tide. Look at what USC said. Did you see the comments about what USC said? That they're more focused this week against Stanford than than they were against Alabama? I just feel that's an excuse that teams are just intimidated by what Nick Saban and that team has done in recent years. 
Now, Joe, you bring up a really good point, and let's go back to to, to the couch with Doctor Freud because <laughs> psychology psychology is a big part of any sport, whether it's football, basketball, it doesn't matter. The mindset of kids as they enter a game is crucial as to what that outcome will be. You bring up a very good point. A big chunk of that Ole Miss roster knows what it feel like feels like to beat an Alabama Nick Saban coached football team. That is huge. Now, personnel-wise, we like Alabama over Ole Miss. The matchups favor Alabama, but Ole Miss is home. And again, Ole Miss knows the formula for eating, beating Alabama. That's that's very important. You said the formula, and I could tell you what the formula is. They have to score first. They did it last year. They the opening kickoff. They uh, I believe it was Ridley fumbled the football. Ole Miss recovered. They got a field goal. They jumped out three nothing. It was the only game Alabama trailed all year. That's Alabama's mo. They pound you. They jump up first, and then they let their defense take over. Well, Ole Miss put the pressure on Jay Coker and that offense early and at one point led that match up 17 to 3 and really got them out of their comfort zone they made a furious second half comeback to lose that game by six points uh, but it, uh, again Ole Miss was in control for much of the of the second and third quarters and another factor they won the turnover battle five to nothing uh, turnovers 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 when you can force short fields you give your offense confidence and Ole Miss is going to need to do that again today in order to knock off Jalen Hurts and this high-powered Alabama offense. Yeah, good point about starting fast, especially when you have a rookie quarterback on the other side. Jalen Hurts has played very well in the first two weeks, but hasn't played, just like we said with DeAndre Francois at Florida State, has not played a true road game yet uh, at this stage of his career. So if Alabama is down early, you know, they're not really an explosive offense. They have Calvin Ridley, but they got the rookie quarterback. They have new running backs. They got an offensive line that isn't traditional Bama. So if you could jump out early, Bama might have a hard time uh, battling their way back. And the one thing that I haven't seen, I know they're pounding the rock for 183 yards on the ground, but you look at the rushing offense. I mean, Bo Scarborough has two two rushing touchdowns on the year. Harris doesn't have any so far. So that's a big recipe in terms of their how they like to utilize the running game. Uh, again, you look at it. Jalen Hurts has two rushing touchdowns. Scarborough, two. Emmons has one. Damian Harris has none. And he leads the team with 183 rushing yards. So, again, you look at recent years when they had that two-headed monster, it's not the same type of rushing attack, is it? No, not at all. I I think it's still a fluid situation in the backfield. You mentioned two-headed rushing attack. That is what Nick Saban likes to leverage. He wants the the power back. He wants the franchise back. And then he wants someone who can come off the bench, carry it 12 to 15 times. I think he's still working through the pecking order of his backs. He has two true stars on offense. It's O.J. Howard at tight end. It's Calvin Ridley at wide receiver. But this is a... Uh, run first, run to set up the pass type of an offense. And right now, I I think he's still not sure who his feature back is in Tuscaloosa. I I agree with that. And I'll tell you this. Harris doesn't seem, he's a slasher. He's not as big as Scarborough. And that's what they want to utilize in the form of Eddie Lacy, in in the form uh, of uh, Derrick Henry, what we saw last Mm -hmm. year, is that, that bruiser that you can give him the ball 40 times a game and wear down the opposing defensive 
fronts so that you could work off a of play action. Harris isn't that type of back. He's more of a, a slasher that can sort of catch the edge. They like to run him off tackle because of his quick feet. Scarborough, though, is the guy I really think they want to get going. And through two ball games, only 55 rushing yards. Not this, not this pounding. I mean, he looks a lot bigger than the way he's playing so far. Uh, you, again, another good point, Joe. I, I, I thought that Bo Scarborough was going to be that feature back. He, he was sort of reminiscent, and maybe he gets there, maybe he doesn't, but he was reminiscent of Derrick Henry. Big, physical back, but he has a lot of pickup speed once he gets into the secondary. Just has been slow out of the gates at this point. I'm not sure if uh, Nick Saban and, and Lane Kiffin don't have confidence uh, in his ability to pass protect, which is often a problem with young running backs, uh, or maybe his ball handling skills at this point. But I'm a little surprised at how quiet he's been to start the season. And here's the thing when I look at Ole Miss. Hugh Freeze is a riverboat gambler. I mean, he is not he's going to roll sevens. I mean, he's at home. This is a team that's looking you know, at their week one performance and saying we had Florida State on the ropes. We were winning that ball game by 22 points and we let it slip. And now everybody's saying, well, no, there's no way Alabama's going to lose three straight. There's no way Ole Miss could be in this matchup. So look out for Hugh Freeze because he's shown a propensity to really throw caution to the wind and, and really play all out. So, I, I mean, I look for a, an explosive ga- game plan by the Rebels in this matchup. And I want to bring up and get your thoughts because I think the X factor in this battle is tight end Evan Ingram. He's got 11 receptions, 164 yards. You can utilize him on seam routes against Eddie Jackson and that secondary. Two years ago in Oxford, Bo Wallace had great success down the deep middle of the field in the second half. How do you see that playing out? Is that a factor later later today? It sure is, and and I'll go further and say Demorier Stringfellow. If if you want to look for an advantage on the Ole Miss side, you have the veteran quarterback. Alabama's got the rookie. You also have some big receivers and the athletic tight end that you mentioned, Joe and Evan Engram. So you have size advantages on the outside that I think Ole Miss will want to and will have to exploit. Now. Alabama's got a terrific secondary, but they can't match the size of those Ole Miss receivers. Something to watch this afternoon. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fryer will be joining us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Football game day on Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I will be talking about Texas A&M and Auburn again. We brought up this battle. It's an intriguing SEC West battle because I feel, in my opinion, Rich, Auburn's going to be dead last in the SEC West, and I feel Texas A&M is the team to beat. I think after they roll through this game today, they can challenge Tennessee, and they match up very well against LSU and Alabama. I mean, we still have to see how it plays out, but this could be a confident football team. I'm not sold on Gus Malzahn. I'm sorry. I just I can't buy into the way he's coached in recent years. Well, I, I think beyond Gus Malls on Joe, I, I think I'm just not sold on the quarterback, Sean White. Uh, that, that, to me, is the difference maker. Nick Marshall, you had a playmaker, obviously. Cam Newton, prior to that, you had a playmaker at Auburn. But Sean White is just a pedestrian game manager. Last week, we saw the success that they had on the ground against Arkansas State with Cameron Petway and Kerryon Johnson. Both ran very well. I don't think they're going to have anywhere near that success against Texas A&M and that front wall, which is not just good on the bookends with Deshaun Hall and and Miles Garrett, but also on the interior. So uh, just a game of tremendous importance. If Texas A&M 
gets off the planes with a victory, I think they could get to the midseason uh, with an unbeaten mark. That's a great point, and I think they win this matchup convincingly. I think they win this game by 13 to 17 points. I'm not sold on Sean White. I agree with you. He's only completing 61% of his passes, but they don't know their identity on offense, and I look at this defense. I know they played well against Clemson and Deshaun Watson, but I'll say this. You had six months to prepare for that matchup. You should have played well defensively. It's the third straight year with a new defensive coordinator, and I'm still not sold on their offense and defensive line. So I agree with you. I think that Texas A&M rolls in this matchup, but we'll see how it plays out. I mean, it's an intriguing game that's going under the radar, but uh, I think we're both in agreement that Texas A&M picks up the victory uh, later tonight on the Plains. I think it'll be closer than you have it, but I think Texas A&M wins. And again, I had prior to the season, Joe, I had them rolling through the first half of the schedule, capped by an upset of Texas uh, Tennessee in a few weeks. So I have been bullish on Texas A&M, like you, for a while tonight pivotal for both SEC West programs. You're not drinking the Boilermakers that I was uh, last week. (laughs) But we'll see if we can get you on Texas A&M. That's good that we're in agreement there. I want to talk about an intriguing battle, Colorado and Michigan, because I really feel, Rich, it's a renewed rivalry from 1994. I'll say this right off the bat. Michigan's defense giving up 178 rushing yards on the ground. Colorado compound the rock with Phillip Lindsay. They're averaging 261 yards on the ground, and their defense 68 passing yards per game allowed and only 98 rushing yards per game allowed. I think this game is a lot closer. Mike McIntyre for Colorado, a very underrated blue-collar coach. I think he goes into the big house and gives Michigan all they can handle today. Well, a couple of things from me, Joe. I, I, I totally agree with you with regard to Colorado. This is a different team than we've seen over the past couple of years. Uh, the blowout in the opener against Colorado State meant more to me than maybe a lot of folks who just sort of rolled their eyes, big deal, it's the Mountain West team. But Mike McIntyre has them headed in the right direction. This is a team that that was close last year in big Pac-12 games, hasn't learned how to win them. But I think they can get to 6-6 six and six in a bowl game. Today, though, is not one of those victories. I don't think it's close. I, I mean, I, I think Michigan wins by three to four touchdowns. Don Brown's defense... I think is almost Alabama good right now. I mean, that is a dominant defense at every level. So I think Sefo Lefau and the Colorado offense struggles badly. I have a 38-13 to 13 this Wow, afternoon. I'll give my prediction when we take a break. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Back on college football game day, we're going to wait for former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry to join us, but we'll continue our breakdown about Alabama and Ole Miss. Rich, I'll say this about Ole Miss. I think they could attack the deep middle of the field, put pressure. It's the same type of recipe to put the pressure on JT Barrett because, again, Jalen Hurts is a young quarterback. They're not running the football, even though they have the numbers. It's not the same style. So if Ole Miss jumps out early... Uh, it could be a game uh, early in Oxford, can it? You hope so. Listen, if you're a fan of the sport, I mean, what better intrigue would you have in Oxford today than the mere possibility of the number one team in the country going down, uh, the chance that Ole Miss beats Bama for a third straight year, uh, the the sideline implosions that would be inevitable for Nick Saban. I mean, that in itself would be abundantly entertaining. We're going to give our predictions of all these games in the last two segments of the show. 
Uh, we're going to be breaking them down. We'll give our predictions. But you could talk college football with us at 844-843-6879. That's 844-843-6879. You can follow me on Twitter at Go for the 2 You can follow Rich on Twitter at Rich Cirminello, C-I-R-M-I-N-I-E-L-L-O. We'll turn our attention to another intriguing battle, marquee battle. It has national title implications. Michigan State and Mark D'Antonio travel to South Bend to face Notre Dame and Brian Kelly. Michigan State coming off a bye. I mean, they've only had one game, a lackluster home victory over Furman. Notre Dame got a convincing home win last week over Nevada, but they need to win this game because they have no margin of error if Notre Dame is going to make the playoff. Uh, no doubt about it. Uh, must win for Notre Dame. Uh, must define for Michigan State because it, it almost feels as if the Spartans haven't begun the 2016 season. I mean, raise your hand if if you remember the Michigan State Furman game uh, over two weeks ago. It feels like Michigan State hasn't played, and they played poorly against the Paladins, Joe, on that Thursday night. So I'm very curious to see what we get from Michigan State. Here's something to keep in mind. As an underdog under Mark D'Antonio, last 11 times, Michigan State 9-2 and against the spread. They've won seven of those games. So this is a perfect spot for Michigan State to step up and surprise Notre Dame. And you, when you, we've, hear, we've heard Louisville. We've heard Florida State, Clemson, Alabama, right? We've heard all these teams, even LSU could get back. We're not hearing a thing about Michigan State. And I understand exactly. why, because they lost so much offensively. They lost Connor Cook. They lost their big play wide receivers. They lost Aaron Burbridge. I understand that. But this is still the Big Ten champions that uh, now nobody seems to be talking about. We hear about Jim Harbaugh, Ohio State. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a perfect recipe if you're a Spartan fan, because that, that's what you want. You want everybody to concentrate on all the other teams and you just yep. go about your business because that's what Mark D'Antonio does. He doesn't get top 10 talent, and that's not a knock. He gets maybe top 15, top 20 talent. But I can tell you this. He is a great coach because he cultivates that talent, Rich, from the time that they're freshmen until the time that they leave at juniors and seniors. And that's why Michigan State just brings it each and every week. And you look at the stats. I mean, Notre Dame has won the last three games against Michigan State, and they've won the matchups by 12.6 points per game. The last game they played was in 2013. A lot's going to fall on Tyler O'Connor, Michigan State's quarterback in this battle because, again, a a methodical blue-collar, lunch-pail type of offense, almost like, it's exactly like Pitt. They they like to work off a play action, so they need that running attack and L.J. Scott to get going on the road in South Bend later tonight. No doubt about it. L.J. Scott on offense, Malik McDowell on defense. Those are the two key players for Michigan State. And listen, Notre Dame does not have a great defense. Forget about the Nevada game. The Texas game, they struggled badly uh, against the run and against the pass. So I, I think this is not a flashy Michigan State offense, but if they can control the line of scrimmage with a rebuilt offensive line, keep the ball away from Deshaun Kaiser, I absolutely think this is a competitive game because it fits in perfectly with the brand and the mindset 
and the approach, as you said, of Mark D'Antonio, because he has a ton of bulletin board material this week. Everybody's overlooking you. You are the Big Ten champs. Nobody's giving you any respect. And watch them come out tonight and really battle Notre Dame. It's going to be incredible because I remember those battles growing up as a kid, as a college football fan, you know, the mid-80s with Lorenzo White and, and Tim Brown for Notre Dame and, and Todd Crum, the Michigan State defensive back. I mean, Dave Urema and Dan Enos. Uh, I mean, that's what, you know, Courtney Hawkins, that's what made Michigan State football unbelievable to watch with the uh, they ha- always had a blue collar mentality under George Perlis and Mark D'Antonio brought that back I mean Nick Saban started it but it's back in full effect and and this is an incredible game because you're right about Notre Dame's defense as well because they lost three games last year to Clemson Stanford and Ohio State in those three matchups last year Notre Dame allowed 216 rushing yards per game they allowed 212 to Clemson they allowed 153 to Stanford and Christian McCaffrey and they allowed 285 to Ohio State so unless they can shut down the run or better than what they did last year they're not going to make a national championship run because when they face the heavy offensive lines that want to pound them each and every play, they're not going to be able to stand up. So uh, it's an intriguing battle, but I think a lot falls on Deshaun Kaiser as well. I know Malik Zaire got involved in that matchup last week at home. He's got to stick to to Kaiser. He's completing 71% of his passes. Seven touchdowns, one interception. I mean, Notre Dame has their quarterback. Why is he doing this with the two-quarterback system? Well, a couple of things. Number one, let's just quickly touch on Notre Dame defense. You know how many sacks they have through two games, Joe? Tell me. Zero. Exactly, right? No, no sacks through two games. So, so as far as the ND defense, I don't know where the playmakers are. Yeah, they lost Sean Crawford, uh, cornerback uh, for the season, young kid. But I sort of compared him to a poor man's honey badger. He was the kind of kid that really was a playmaker, disruptive. He's now gone. I don't know where the big time playmakers are. That could plague them throughout the rest of the season. As far as the quarterbacks, listen, Malik Zaire at best is a. Cha- I love the kid. Think he has a bright future. But in on this team. He has a change of pace. Uh, He's a lefty versus the righty. He's the more athletic quarterback. Deshaun Kaiser, you give me a franchise to start. He's my quarterback. I think that highly of him in terms of his clutch potential, his arm talent, his smarts in the pocket. Uh, So, listen, Brian Kelly knows this. Brian Kelly's going to stick with Kaiser for the better part of the season. He has to, and they have an opportunity from a schedule perspective. I know O'Connor's a veteran. He got the victory last year on the road uh, in Columbus 17 to 14 you could say he's battle tested although it was only one game I I get that point here's what I look at when I look at this matchup the the bye week and I know a lot of people think the extra week to prepare is a benefit I'll say this before we go out to break sometimes it could be a benefit but in the early part of the season when you don't build up any type of consistency it could be a detriment and I I think that that's the one thing even though you have have the right game plan the kids have rust early part of the season so for me I think that's a factor in this ball game I would go with I'm going to give my prediction uh, for this battle I like Notre Dame to win this game convincingly and I mean convincingly by 17 points 14 to 17 points I like their offense they're rushing for 222 yards on the ground passing for 221 yards through the air I think Kaiser's the difference and he stretches Michigan State vertically in this battle we'll 
get Rich's prediction in next segment. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the SB Nation Radio Network. College football game there on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Rich and I were talking Colorado and Michigan. I think this one's going to be close. I think Colorado loses a, a, a tough game. I think Lufau, you mentioned it in last segment. He's a dynamic quarterback. He hurt his ankle last year against USC. They lost that matchup by three points. But I like Philip Lindsay, the running back. Can you imagine if they had wide receiver Nelson Spruce from in, in this yeah. offense? They would be dynamic. They could have been a player in the Pac-12. But I think they, they're they wearing throw. And I know you're not a uniform guy, Rich. But they're wearing the 1994. <laughs> I just think, they're wearing I think the 94 unis. They're wearing the yeah. Cordell Stewart, Michael Westbrook unis today. I, I think they're poking the bear a little bit. I, I, I think the, the, the uniforms, uh, the hearkening back to 1994, the depth chart, did you see what they did yes. with the depth chart? Sort Love of tweak, tweaking Michigan because Michigan doesn't put a D.C. out. I so thought it was great. Their, it was very entertaining, but do you really want to mess with Michigan at this point? I mean, they're going to they're going to hammer you. They're going to make you pay for it. You know, listen. Th- th- this is what I want to see. I-, I like Michigan is gradually stepping up in competition. Right? It was uh, it was Hawaii. It was UCF. Now it's Colorado. They pay a Pac twelve uh, play a Pac twelve team. I'm curious about Wilton Spate, the quarterback from Michigan, because he's looked very good in the first two games, but has done it against weak defenses. So I'm curious to see if he can continue to elevate against Colorado. I think it's a blowout. I think it's 25 plus for Michigan. So I, I would lay those points confidently if uh, if you're if you're into that. And fans, we do not talk during the week, so I have no idea who Rich likes. He has no idea who I like. So that we're, you know, we're just like that oil and water sometimes. I design. Some, yeah, <laughs> we go into we go into separate bunkers during the week so that we don't compare that, notes. That's it. But I agree with. I, I, I'll say this. I think it, I'll say this about Michigan's defense. I don't like the fact that Peppers uh, and quickly that he's not playing safety. I think they're a more dominant defense when he's a rover back. I know he's outside linebacker now, but they're giving up 178 rushing yards per game. They gave up a bunch to Justin Holman and that offense last week. Not the same type of run-stuffing defense in the Wolverines. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong about that? Well, uh, listen, I, I like what Don Brown is doing. I like the linebackers in particular. They, they have really been all over the field. In terms of Jabril Peppers, I, I want to put him in a position to, to freelance as much as possible. Brown believes that's, that's at the second level as opposed to safety. It seems to be working out so far. So I, I think this is just too big of a step up in competition for Colorado. They're going to suffer badly on the offensive wow. side of the ball. We'll see it. Uh, I mean, you got to love it. There's a lot going on behind the scenes of Mike McIntyre and Jim Harbaugh. Take a look. Go on ESPN. Read about it because you have about, I think the game is a 3.30 start on the Big Ten Network. Check that out. Correct. We'll talk about another intriguing battle. Uh, Temple and Penn State quickly. I think Temple pushes Penn State to the limit in this ballgame. No, they haven't looked good, but I think Temple can win this matchup. They're catching points. Uh, I just like Matt Rule as a coach, and they knocked off Penn State for the first time since 1941 last year. Different team. Uh, a lot depends on the health of Jihad Thomas. He's had a thumb problem, the Temple running back. Uh, listen, in the storyline for me, Joe, is James Franklin. If he loses, and he loses three straight uh, to Pennsylvania teams, I don't know if he makes it back to uh, back home with a job. Uh, that's a great point. We'll see how that game plays out. They're honoring Joe Paterno today. Penn State, the pressure is on. They lost 42-39. to Rich and I will take a quick break. We'll start with the predictions. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. 
back on college football game day. I gave my prediction for Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame gets a convincing victory over the Spartans tonight. I think that they can challenge that secondary. Rich, I mean, that's the way you beat Michigan State last year. Tommy Armstrong did it at home in Nebraska. I look for Deshaun Kaiser and that offense to explode. Torrey Hunter's coming back from a concussion. Notre Dame in a convincing win later tonight. I don't see it, Joe. I I think it's a close game. We talked about uh, Michigan State in these settings. Very good as an underdog. Oftentimes will pull the upset. Mark D'Antonio has essentially had an entire offseason to prepare for this game because Furman was the opener. He's had two weeks between that game. So I think he'll have a good defensive scheme led by Malik McDowell, the nose tackle. This is a back-and-forth, nip-and-tuck, field-goal-type game absolutely take the points and take that to the bank later this evening. Oh, and take it to the bank. Okay, we'll see. (laughs) Florida State and Louisville, the big marquee battle. Rich, this is going to be an unbelievable atmosphere. I suggest you tune in at 12 o'clock noon. I mean, this it doesn't get better than this for college football. I like the more complete team, in my opinion, Florida State. I know they're minus Derwin James, but Jimbo Fisher on the road, and like I mentioned before, Sean McGuire waiting in the wings just in case things go awry. It's a gutty Seminole victory on the road. High scoring, 44-34. Seminoles pull out the victory later today. Well, we agree and we disagree on this one, Joe. I I think it'll be high scoring as well. I I have it 40-31 in favor of the home team. I, I, I think that Florida State is just a little bit too erratic for me. Uh, I look back to that first game. They're off in the first half. They're on in the second half. You mentioned no Derwin James. I'll mention Josh Sweat, uh, their pass rusher, their edge rusher, who might not be able to play today. I think it's Lamar Jackson. I think it's a good effort from, uh, opportunistic effort from the Louisville defense. So I have the Cardinals winning at home in a raucous atmosphere. No taking it to the bank. We're against each other in the first no. two games. <laughs> we'll Only see. Michigan State. Okay, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, another marquee battle. I mean, it doesn't get better than these three games. Oklahoma and Ohio State. Oklahoma at home for the and underdogs for the first time since October of 2000. I'm going with big game Bob Stoops. I think he rebounds. I just think Oklahoma's speed a, a little bit more on the outside and Joe Mixon the X factor and I go with the the fact that Oklahoma playing at home in the underdog role is a little different than them in a, as a big favorite expected to dominate Urban Meyer, what can you say? Great job, but JT Barrett minus some weapons. I think that'll play into this game as well. Oklahoma with a close victory. I think it's close in the first half. Again, Oklahoma with a 10-point victory later tonight. Mm. Yeah, this is not staged at all because we're going to go opposite again. <laughs> I, I, I have said I have said throughout the offseason that I thought Oklahoma as a top 10 team underachieves. Ohio State with a young team, especially with Urban Meyer, tends to overachieve. I like the way the Buckeyes have played. Look up and down the roster. That's all I need to do. 
pure talent up and down the roster. I think Ohio State has more pedigree, more blue chip players. I think the Buckeyes win. I have it 38 to 30. I think they go into Norman, pull out the victory. This is not Oklahoma's year. We're going to finally see that definitively tonight. Ooh, we'll see. All right, the big one at 3.30 in the SEC, Alabama and Nick Saban against Hugh Freeze and Ole Miss. I like the gunslinger and Chad Kelly. I like Hugh Freeze in this spot. They're going to be rolling the dice. I think they roll sevens. They push Alabama to the limit. They're in striking distance, but lose a four-point game to the Alabama Crimson Tide. But I will say this, high scoring. I think it's a very high-scoring game because they're going to attack Eddie Jackson in that secondary in the first half. So you have Ole Miss covering. Yep. Yeah, I have Alabama covering. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have Love Alabama by, by 12. So I, I, I think Alabama goes double digit. I, I don't think you're going to fool Nick Saban a third time. I think it comes down to the pass rush, the aggressiveness, the attacking of the Alabama defense against Chad Kelly. I think Chad Kelly throws three picks today. One is going to be taken back for a touchdown. I don't expect to see a lot of offense out of Alabama. So they're going to have to rely a little more on defense and special teams. They find break through and snap that losing streak against the Rebels. We're going to go rapid fire because Greg Fry should be joining us in the last segment. We'll talk about a quick game, Colorado yep. and Michigan. I like Colorado rush defense, only giving up 98 rushing yards per game. They were pounding the rock with Philip Lindsay for 261 yards on the ground. Michigan allowing 178 rushing yards per game. Colorado wearing throwback unis, push Jim Harbaugh to the limit. They lose this game by 10 points in an Arbor today. I fully plan to be 2-0 and with the Michigan teams. Michigan State plus the points. Michigan laying the points. I think it's a comfortable 38-13 to victory for the Wolverines. Wow. Texas A&M and Auburn. I love this A&M team. That wide receiver core led by Christian Kirk going up against Auburn. That secondary allowing 254 passing yards per game. I'll take my chances with Trevor Knight, Keith Ford in that wide receiver core. John Chavis going up against Gus Malzahn. Not sold on Kevin Steele's defense, and more importantly, not sold on Sean White, the quarterback. A&M with a decisive, anywhere from 13 to 17 point road victory on the Plains in Auburn later tonight. Which would devastate the job security for Gus Malzahn. I don't think he can lose this game if he gets blown out. That's just terrible for his future. I, I like A&M as well. At long last, uh, we have found common ground. So I like the <laughs> Aggies on the road, and, and this could be a, a, a a uh, launching point for the for the rest of their season if they could win this game. I got to tell you about this game quickly. I love UCLA and Josh Rosen on the road in Provo later tonight. This is a game, I think, a high-powered offense, the speed of UCLA on the outside. BYU coming off an emotional 20-19 loss where they went for two in the Holy War. Didn't get it. Two of their players suspended for the first half due to targeting. Both of those players are in the secondary. UCLA rolls in Provo later tonight. The emotional letdown by Taysom Hill and the Cougars. Josh Rosen and UCLA moves to 2-1 and one on the year with a decisive 20-point victory over the Cougars.
I try to make it a point to never take UCLA because I don't like this program under Jim Mora. I just think they're soft. I, I think they they fail to meet expectations. Uh, I do agree with you. I think they'll win. Uh, th- this is what's troubling to me right now. It's not Josh Rosen. He's not getting any help, Joe. He's not getting help from his protection. He's not getting help from his receivers. His receivers are dropping a ton of passes. So they have to step it up in week three. I think they will. I think they'll beat BYU. Interesting matchup. Here's another one. Virginia Tech in Boston College. I like BC in this matchup. They're only allowing 48 rushing yards per game. They're catching six and a half points. It's a rivalry game. Not sold on Virginia Tech in terms of ball security. Minus four in turnover margin. I look for the Eagles to strike the upset on the road. Well, I, I think this is a letdown game for Virginia Tech after all of the hoopla in Bristol last week. The the tough loss to uh uh, to Tennessee, but I, I think the Hokies bounce back. Just not enough offense on the BC side. Low scoring game. I think Virginia Tech wins it, though. Ooh, interesting. How about Georgia and Missouri? I think Georgia way too much speed. I'm not sold on Drew Locke either. I, I, I know this offense looked much better the first couple of weeks, but again, Kirby Smart, I like this team. I like what they're doing. I know they struggled against Nichols State, but as long as you have Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle needs to be worked into the offense, I say Georgia gets That's a 14-point road victory in Columbia later today. Yeah, this will be one of the uglier games of the week. I mean, I don't expect to see a lot of offensive execution. You mentioned Drew Locke played well, but against a weak opponent in Eastern Michigan last week. Jacob Eason struggled against Nichols State. So quarterback play will not be precise. I think it'll come down to the running backs, which does favor Georgia. Good defensive speed. I think the Bulldogs win, but I don't think it'll be a visually appealing game. We'll give uh, the spreads and just quickly give me your uh, opinion. I like Oak State minus the four over Pittsburgh. Your thoughts? Uh, I have Oklahoma State winning by three. That's too close. I'll, I'll take Oklahoma State laying the points. Okay, how about this one? Miami and App State. I'm going with the Hurricanes. They roll by 20 over App State. I don't see it. I think Appalachian State will be competitive. We saw it against Tennessee. Brad Kaya has not been sharp so far this year. Interesting. We'll get to these two games after Greg Fry. We'll talk about Oregon, Nebraska, and we'll talk Akron Marshall when we come back. Stay with us. We have former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry joining us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Back on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network, UCLA and BYU. I told Rich I love this game. I love UCLA in this matchup. Josh Rosen and the Bruins going up against the emotional letdown of the BYU Cougars. Uh, Rich, I still like UCLA. Too much speed. I think they dominate this game. I don't. I, I would not agree with that uh, characterization of domination. I, I just UCLA doesn't dominate a lot of people. I, it, it's a soft program under Jim Mora. Uh, defensively, I think they have underachieved for coordinator Tom Bradley. Josh Rosen needs more help on the outside. Too many drop passes. So I think this is a competitive game. I don't see a blowout, but I do think UCLA wins. Interesting. We're joined by a very special guest. He's been on the show before, Rich. He's the comeback kid for Ohio State comebacks. I mean, he's done it in Columbus during his tenure there from 1987 through 1990. I want to welcome in former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. Greg, how are you today? 
I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. Uh, our pleasure. Big battle. I don't know if you heard down in Norman tonight, <laughs> Ohio State <laughs> and Oklahoma. Uh, I mean, I mean, Greg, I really feel that the pressure is on Oklahoma. I mean, this is what Urban Meyer and this team actually, they feast off of. But I want to get your thoughts about JT Barrett. What does he have to do tonight for this offense to be successful? Well, JT has been hot for the first couple of games of the Buckeyes, certainly, and brings uh, a lot of leadership and experience. So uh, he's played the big games before, and he knows what it takes. Uh, and I think for him, it's and I'm sure the coaches are telling him he's got to be he's got to be patient and let the game come to him and not try to do too much. Um, I, I really think it's going to be the offensive line play and and protecting him um, and getting the running game established. I think that's a critical factor in the game because if the O line is getting it done um, in a pretty good way, they don't, they don't have to be great. It allows JT to distribute the football because, you know, the receivers are, are, I would say, a little bit young. You may not know their names, but they're very, very talented. Uh, and you got Mike Weber on the football. So, again, I think it's going to really come back to the O-line, giving JT time to do what he does best. Greg, it's Rich Sermonello. Can you talk a little bit about Curtis Samuel? He's such an impressive kid in terms of his multidimensional skill set. Uh, what does he bring to that Ohio State offense? Well, I mean, he brings explosiveness. I mean, you know, he's he's kind of been waiting in the wings here the last couple of years, and for the first couple of games, he's been uh, he's been pretty special. Um, you know, lead the Big Ten in receptions uh, with seven. Um, got a whole bunch of receiving yards and all-purpose yards. So he's just he's a true H back, which you know Urban Meyer likes in that type of an offense, uh, where you can put him in the backfield, and you'll see him put him in the backfield and run the football. Uh, but they're going to find multiple ways to get him the ball, like on swing passes or short passes, and he can certainly get you vertical too. So he is a, you know, just a true multiple threat, and they uh, they have a lot of fun getting him the football. And every time they've gotten the ball, it's been exciting so far. So for sure tonight, you want to be looking for number four to be making plays for the Buckeye offense. Rich. We're going to talk to Greg a little bit about this breakdown. We're going to we're going to uh, take a quick break, but I want to ask. Um, uh, Greg, stay with us. We'll, we'll be coming right back. We'll talk about this this in a, a little bit greater detail. But I just wanted to give some stats about Ohio State. They're rushing for 313 yards on the ground. You can't take away what JT Barrett's done this year. Offensive line's going to have to step up in this battle. But this is what makes matchups. We have a classic Big Ten, Big 12 battle later tonight in Norman. Stay with us. This is Joe Lisi and Rich Sermonello. Back on college football game day, Ohio State and Oklahoma doesn't get better. Marquee battle. What better way to talk Buckeye football than with the former big play quarterback? He's live on the Progressive Celebrity Hotline. I want to welcome in the comeback kid, former OSU quarterback, Greg Fry. Greg, how are you today? I'm doing great, Joe. Happy to be on. Thanks for having me. Uh, my pleasure. Emotion, emotion, emotion. This is the, the, the stage that Urban Meyer and the Buckeyes savor. What do you feel they have to do tonight? More importantly, what does JT Barrett and that offense have to do to move the football against Oklahoma's defensive front seven? Well, it's obviously a great opportunity for the Buckeyes. And, you know, they've, they've had two blowout wins so far against Bowling Green and Tulsa. So I think tonight's one of those nights you're going to find out you know, are they really that good? This is their first true test, and it's on the road against an Oklahoma team that obviously lost uh, to Houston, which I don't know if anybody expected. So, you know, to me, this is a scary matchup because of the emotion on Oklahoma's side of, you know, they, they can't afford to be losing two games early in the year, and especially losing at home. Um, so when you look at the Buckeyes offensively, you know, I think it's important for the, 
really critical for, for the offensive line to protect JT Bear, give him time to throw and spread the well to his great receiving core and, and give Mike Weber some room to run. Um, so I think that front seven defensively for, uh, for Oklahoma is key for them defensively and for the Buckeyes to manage that. If, if the offensive line can do their job, then the Buckeyes are going to put a lot of points on the board. But if they struggle a little bit in that first half, then, uh, boy, it's going, to be, it's going to be a very interesting ball game. Greg, is it a legitimate concern for such a young Ohio State roster to be going on the road for the first time this season? Or is that something that those of us in the media tend to overhype and these young athletes today just sort of turn a deaf ear to, to, the, to the crowd? Uh, I think it's good. I think it's a valid question, a valid concern, uh, Rich. But I think that the one thing that Buckeyes do so, have done so well in the last couple of years in Urban Meyer is they travel well. Um, and they really they they've got a great chemistry on the road, and they and they they thrive in that environment on, on a Saturday night national TV. Um, but you know, at the same time, you do have some young guys that this is their first their first rodeo, you know, under the lights, and and that could affect them. Uh, but I think the the culture at Ohio State is when you go on the road like that, they they do thrive on. It. They love that atmosphere. That's what they come to Ohio State for. And they tend to rise to the occasion. Um, I wouldn't expect to be any different tonight, uh, even though some of these guys are, are, you know, I would say relatively inexperienced. But because they have confidence because they have so much talent. Um, and we've seen that here in the first couple of games already. Greg, I brought up the fact that Ohio State entering this year lost their top three wide receivers, and there's a lot of inexperience, but you said there's depth there, the guys that you don't know about. How important it is for a quarterback in terms of wide receiver-quarterback relationship early in the year to get that timing down, especially in a marquee battle like this, top 10 matchup, does that play into this offensive scheme for JT Barrett? Do you feel that Urban Meyer will want to pound the rock? I mean, they're averaging 313 yards on the ground is that the recipe to beat this Oklahoma defense well I think for Ohio State it's doing what they do and Urban Meyer wants to run the football Uh, there's no doubt about that he understands like most coaches understand you've got to be able to run the football his way of doing is by spreading the field you know with what I would call a lot of window dressing Um, but the window dressing is is a a host of uh, excellent wide receivers athletic wide receivers and and again it's about spreading the wealth but if you can run the football with Mike Weber and then making sure you're spreading the wealth. And I think as a quarterback, you got to know you have multiple threats outside. Because if you have just one, the defense can take that away. And the Buckeyes have multiple ones. And, you know, a guy like Noah Brown, who missed all last year, uh, who's a physical receiver. Um, and obviously we talked about, uh, you know, Curtis Samuel and, and, and Dontre Wilson, among others. Uh, they've got some weapons outside. So I think it's, it's if he can establish more than one guy outside throwing the football too, and I would throw the, you know, the tight ends in that next as well with, with Marcus Baugh. That's what they do offensively, and that's where they're successful. And uh, if you're Oklahoma, you know, you've got to be – that's got to scare you because you can't just key on one guy. Greg, my favorite game within the game tonight is going to be Raquan McMillan, the Ohio State linebacker, versus those big physical Oklahoma backs led by Samaj P. Ryan. Can you give us a quick breakdown on McMillan and what he brings to that Buckeye defense? He's a stud, you know, 6'2", 243 junior linebacker who's kind of been, you know, he's played quite a bit in his, his first couple of years, but he's really risen to the occasion. And I think where he has improved is on his reads. Um, I mean, physically, he's a freak. He's just, he's fast. Um, and, you, and he looks the part of a middle linebacker, but he's done a much better job this year of really understanding his reads, coming downhill when he has to, 
doing a better job and, and um, you know, dropping in his, in his path lanes uh, and just being a leader on that defense. But I, I would say that um, in this defense, they, they really tackle by committee. Um, it stood out to me that the first game of the year, the leading tackler had four tackles. And there were like seven guys that had four tackles. So as much as you, want, you can talk about Raekwon uh, and how good he is, he's getting a whole bunch of help. Uh, and they're playing a lot of bodies. So I think that if, if I had a key tonight for the Buckeyes, is you'll see a lot of guys playing, especially in that front seven. Um, and they got to have fresh legs because I'm sure that uh, that Oklahoma offense is going to test them all night long. Greg, if, if this was 1990 and you were playing Michigan and Kent Graham said, you know, Michigan's defense is a basic defense, how would you feel about that back in the day? I'm just curious as a quarterback. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I probably wouldn't like the, the word choice necessarily, um, you know, but it, it, there's got to be a respect factor, I think, is what it comes down to. Um, you know, and, and basic can be, be construed in many, many ways. But, you know, I come from the background of you don't give the other team any locker room material. You don't want to give them that. They got enough, they got enough motivation. And l- let me tell you, Oklahoma's got a lot of motivation because they, they don't want to lose that second game because that takes – that takes away any playoff uh, potential for the most part. So um, you're walking into uh, a hornet's nest tonight. You better keep your mouth shut and go play and just do it on the field. Greg, thank you so much for taking the time. We hope you enjoyed it today. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Joe and Rich. That was former Ohio State quarterback Greg Fry. Stay with us all weekend long. College football is the best. For Rich Sermonello, I'm Joe Lisi. Have a great weekend, everyone. Enjoy the games. We talked about two games. We didn't give our prediction. Miami and App State. I'm going with the Canes. I can't see. I know this spot, App State. It's a home game. Uh, I think Hurricanes way too much speed. Brad Kaya, they exploit that secondary and make Taylor Lamb and that offense one-dimensional defensively. I think Miami rolls in this matchup, Rich. Rich might not be there, but I love Miami in this battle. I think it's a dominating Hurricanes victory on the road. Uh, Mark Rick and the crew need to step up. Brad Kaya, he's playing well within the system. I look for Joseph Yearby and Walton, the running backs, to exploit App State's defense on the perimeter. Look for Coley to break out as well. Here's another intriguing battle. Akron on the road in Marshall. I, I thought Akron would play much better. Wisconsin's offensive line dominating at will. So I don't look at that battle and say that Akron doesn't have a shot on the road. Terry Bowden's from the state of West Virginia. He played at West Virginia. He loves to win in the state. And okay. I think the Zips are back in this matchup. I'm picking Akron to push Marshall to the limit and get the upset. Today, Rich, I know Terry Bowden is big into the state of West Virginia. He'll have his zips ready. I think they get a a gutty upset win here on the road. I actually agree with you here. I, I, I'm not sure what to expect out of Marshall in 2016. Got a good young quarterback and Linton behind center, but but Akron is a well-coached team. Didn't uh, didn't play well against Wisconsin, but I think they have a bit of a coming-out party today against Marshall. We'll go a little rapid fire and some uh, games. How about San Diego State laying 11 on the road to Northern? I think offensive line, defensive line way too much. Donnell Promfrey breaks out. You look at Northern, what they did in terms of giving up rushing yards to Wyoming. I think mm-hmm. San Diego State with a convincing victory and they cover the number later today. 
I agree. I like what Rocky Long has done. This is a complete football team, offensively, defensively, physical at the line of scrimmage. You, mem- you mentioned Pumphrey. Could even be a deep fringe Heisman uh, candidate. So I-, I like San Diego State as well, Joe. Here's an intriguing one. We didn't talk about it because there's just so many games. USC and Stanford. I mean, Stanford pummeled USC between the tackles last year. Christian McCaffrey and that offensive line, they just wore down the front seven. You saw what USC did against Alabama. They need to step up, but I'm, I'm picking USC in the upset. But I, that's one game I don't. I, I just I don't know the mindset. If you can't get up for Alabama, you, you're going to get up for a Pac-12 opponent. It just doesn't make sense to me. So where is this team in terms of USC? Yeah, USC has tremendous skill position talent, Dory Jackson, Juju on offense, but I, I, I don't like them at the line of scrimmage. They're banged up on the offensive line, defensive line remade over from last year. Stanford excels at the line of scrimmage. I think that's where they win tonight. Yeah, sure, Christian McCaffrey will play well, but it's in the trenches, Joe, that I think Stanford is victorious. Another rapid fire. I'm taking G-Tech with the triple option over Vandy today. Uh, they're late in six and a half. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think it's a closer game, though. I think this could be a toss-up game, a big game for Paul Johnson and Derek Mason, a couple of hot-seat coaches that have to win today. Yeah, follow Rich and I every Saturday morning, 10 to 12. We love college football. Get all your information each and every week we, right here on the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Enjoy the games. Have a great weekend, everyone.